Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. It's three o'clock somewhere. Time for a My Mochi ice cream snack. My Mochi ice cream is cool, creamy scoops of premium ice cream wrapped in sweet, pillowy dough. And get this. All of My Mochi's fabulous flavors like strawberry, mango, double chocolate, and cookies and cream are only around 80 calories per piece. Talk about a guilt-free, indulgent experience. Each box of My Mochi ice cream has six perfectly portioned, gluten-free mochis that are great for grab-and-go. So feel good while curbing your afternoon cravings or the midnight munchies. Yeah, you know who you are with the joyfully chill sensation of My Mochi ice cream. Find My Mochi ice cream at Target or visit MyMochi.com to locate a grocery store near you. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, the travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi, Peter Greenberg here. This week on our Ion Travel podcast, an important conversation with Arnold Donald, the CEO of the Carnival Corporation, on the state of the cruise industry, where they're going and where they're not. And with Scott McCartney, the travel editor of the Wall Street Journal, on the growing frustration of getting refunds on tickets, even when the airlines canceled your flight. Uh, My next guest has been on this show many times, but no more importantly than right now, uh, when we talked earlier in the show about how the travel industry has been turned upside down and inside out, how we have no more playbook or manual operations, how every day is a brave new world. I think nobody knows that more than my next guest, the CEO of Carnival Corporation, Arnold Donald. Arnold, welcome back to the show. Peter, um, good to be with you on the show, and um, these are definitely unusual times. I mean, not to take the symbolism too crazy, but we are really now sailing in uncharted waters, aren't we? <laughs> we absolutely are. Um, you know, Obviously, the entire industry has um, voluntarily, temporarily, paused operations, um, cruise operations. So cruise ships all over the world are offshore. Um, I'm looking out my window here on Ocean Drive where, where I live in South Beach in Miami, and I can see several cruise ships anchored offshore um, here, and, and these cruise ships are never in that spot. Uh, and so that's the state of affairs right now. Now, I know that Carnival basically, you know, suspended service for about 30 days. Then you did another 30 days. Is there any uh, glimpse on the horizon as to when you can resume service? Well, I think, um, first of all, you know, we've got a number of brands. Uh, obviously, as you know, Peter, we're global. And Princess uh, was the first, I think, 
cruise line industry to voluntarily pause, and they paused for 60 days when they did. Uh, so there's a number of, of, of pauses out there. And, and the reality is, um, right now, around the world, uh, there's very little social gathering. And um, we join everyone else in this attempt to, you know, fight this virus. And, and in that context, um, you know, we're cooperating, of course, fully with all the medical experts around the world. And we want to be, like everyone else, part of the ultimate solution. So there's no forecast on when we're going to start up again. Uh, but once social gathering is happening again, then I think um, that'll be the first sign of, of um, opportunity for crews to start again. And let's talk about the optics here, because many of us, and I'm sure this comes as no surprise to you, remember those visual images of your ship quarantined in Yokohama. That was a princess ship. Then you had the Grand Princess uh, being unable for a while to actually land in California. They finally did. Uh, you have ships off the coast of Australia that are still being challenged. Uh, even though you suspended service, we're now dealing with almost a crisis of confidence and, and a visual image that makes it a very steep hill to climb back on. Uh, you have how many different ships now? Over 100, correct? Uh, yeah, we have over 100, and the industry has over 200. And, of course, the entire industry has been impacted um, with community spread occurring in countries all over the world. Um, I think very few, if any, cruise lines weren't at some point impacted uh, by having the occurrence or the, the threat of occurrence of COVID on board, and then um, countries trying to determine how they were going to handle that. Of course, from an image point of view, every cruise line was was basically challenged over a number of years by the norovirus. Uh, not that many outbreaks in recent years, but there was a couple of years that it was, you know, front page news, and you were being regulated, by, obviously, by the CDC and, and having to report that. But the norovirus is essentially a gastrointestinal uh, a virus that you know, is not really going to kill a lot of people. Uh, you may be having an, an extended conversation with a porcelain toilet, uh, but that's that's not really what we're talking about here. We're talking about a really lethal virus. Yeah, I mean, we've had to deal with um, things around the world before because um, we're global and we sail around the world. And so um, there's been Ebola and SARS and MERS and Zika, and uh, uh, in addition to, you know, norovirus, which is more commonplace and, and every year and various influenza and influenza B. And so, you know, th those are things that exist in society at large. Um, and occasionally, you know, despite the screenings we do, uh, temperature checks, medical records and so on and so forth, um, occasionally, you know, um, uh, there are uh, opportunities, you know, where people come on board and discover they you know, have the flu or the norovirus or whatever. But we have protocols in place, deep cleaning on the ships. Um, we have medical facilities on board. We isolate people. You know, we have crew from 145 countries. Many of them have never been exposed to measles or chicken pox. Uh, so we have to be very careful with that uh, as, um, you know, children come on board and others come on board. So we're used to handling these types of things. This one, though, is global. Is affected all forms of social gathering. Restaurants are closed. Hotels are closed. Very little airport traffic. Very little subway train. People are being told to stay in their homes or shelter in place. So this is very different from all those other things. Those may You're have right. been very serious, but they were more isolated. Um, this is. I mean, I remember. Everywhere. Yeah, it is. I remember 9/11. 
it was a time when the cruise industry was uniquely positioned because not everybody wanted to fly over a large body of water to go to a destination. They were worried about terrorism. But you were able to literally reposition your assets and move them back to any number of U.S. ports. So, so many of your cruise ships became drive-to destinations and people cruise there. That's not the case now. You can't just reposition your ships because, as you said, Arnold, it's global. You know, it is global. And, and again, we want to stand with everyone else in the world in, in addressing this public health risk. Uh, as the world adapts to it and, and decides how it's going to handle it, then crews, like every other form of social gathering, will fit in it. Um, I think we have some advantages. Um, a lot of the protocols that people are talking about uh, in terms of um, hand sanitizers, washing your hands, not touching your face, you know, coughing into um, your um, elbow or, you know, your forearm and, and not on your hands, et cetera. Those kinds of things have been in place for a long time on cruise ships um, because we travel, you know, so many different places. There is hand sanitizer. There's constant deep cleaning. All those things um, you know, already happen on cruise ships. So in some ways, once we're at a stage where social gathering is, um, you know, perceived to be, you know, uh, the right thing to do again, then I think crews can fit into that um, as are other forms of social gathering, whether it's land resorts, hotels, et cetera. You know, this isn't a question that's particular to the cruise industry. I think it's particular to travel in general. And that is in lieu of widespread testing or the availability in, 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 at scale of, a, of an effective vaccine, when do you actually think that social gathering can return to pre-coronavirus levels? Well, that, I think, is going to be left to medical experts who are far more knowledgeable than I am. I think the epidemiology of this particular virus is being studied intensely everywhere around the world. As you know, China has started reintroducing social gathering. Korea um, has um, reintroduced social gathering. I think the world will learn um, from, from how that's being handled and what the results are from it. Right now, everybody's just in the stage of trying to make certain that there is sufficient medical capacity to handle those that seem to um, uh, be more reactive to the virus, uh, that there are good behaviors and protocols in place that individuals can take to mitigate the spread of the virus. That's the stage we're at right now. Well, we'll see when it is, but I'll leave that to, to the authorities in the various places and countries whose job it is to, to do that. But once it's there, then, you know, people want to cruise. And um, even now we have people booking, you know, for 2021, anticipating that, you know, this this will pass and people booking later in 2020, you know, because they're anxious to 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 cruise and, and get out there again. Uh, and the world will get through this, but but we'll have to get through it together. Arnold, you know, we talk about so many people and this is not particular to the cruise line. It's in travel in general. People who booked ahead for their cruise or for their airline, for their hotel, for their tour, for their safari and are having great difficulty in getting their money back uh, when these trips cancel. Um, and I know the original refund policies of the cruise lines, not just yours, but just about everybody, was you had time moratoriums on them that if you canceled within, let's say, six months, you could get all your money back, and then it was it was a scaled-down level from there. And But now I guess all bets are off because every cruise is canceled. Well, for the time being, that's certainly the case because, again, we voluntarily pause as has the industry globally, uh, pause cruise operations. But, again, uh, if, if we've canceled a cruise, um, we've offered people the opportunity for a future cruise credit 
uh, depending on the brand sometimes, you know, there's a little sweetener on that or that, you know, they can uh, get their, their money back um, if, if we cancel the cruise on them and, and they had, you know, fully paid for their cruise. Exactly. Uh, so, um, but and in some cases, um, you know, as a future cruise credit, it could be, you know, for the full fare or it could be an onboard credit of substantial value um, for, you know, rebooking um, in, in the future. And, and that's just a, a typical approach. But we have nine brands. They all do it a little differently. They all have different source markets, you know, German, U.S., um, et cetera, or, or British. And everybody does things a little differently. But fundamentally, our intent is that, you know, no one should be harmed. Uh, uh, people are disappointed, as we are we, that they're not able to enjoy the vacation experience that they had planned to enjoy. We want to give them that opportunity to enjoy it at another time or if they prefer to either get their money back. But, it, you know, we have a lot of people are rebooking, and at the same time, you know, it's a lot of processing. You know, we, we, we sell over 13 million people a year. <laughs> and yeah. so... We, when these types of things happen, it's hundreds of thousands of, of, you know, rebookings and credits and so on and so forth. So it does take time. And I just ask everyone out there, um, to be a little patient. I, I understand the sense of urgency and most people have been very patient. Uh, but to continue to just be a little patient as we process through and, and, and try to give them back what they want. So what you're saying, Arnold, is that if someone who's you know, prepaid for a cruise, the cruise got canceled, and for whatever reason, they can, you know, they don't want to wait for a year to rebook, they can get their money back. Yeah, in most cases, and again, I, I would encourage them to their specific situation, but absolutely in most cases, um, they are able to get their money back or get a future cruise credit in, in the vast majority of cases. Uh, and there and could be course, specific yeah. exceptions. Uh, yeah, I don't want to make a blanket statement because they have nine brands, different countries, different regulations, different setups. You know, so lots of different contracts out there. So sure. But, but, the but reality I'll, I'll, is, I'll give, yeah. yeah. I'll give you an example if I can. With the airlines, there's a U.S. Department of Transportation rule that says if the airline cancels, not if the passenger cancels, but if the airline cancels, then the passenger's entitled to a full refund if they want it. They might want right. to accept a voucher, but at least they can right. do that. Is that it's what similar. you're saying? That it's similar. similar to us. Okay. Yeah. Similar I got it. Uh, of in course. In this particular yeah. case, you know, we, we, you know, have pause. Um, operations. And this is an unusual thing. This is all unprecedented, right? Of course. Um, but, but the intent here is this will pass, uh, either through, um, ability to just manage it through the stay in home and shelter in place, com- combined with expanded, uh, medical capacity, so on and so forth, combined with therapies that eventually will come ultimately, you know, with a vaccine. So all of this will pass. And uh, we have a lot of very loyal, um, guests. And, and people who want to experience cruise going forward. And we want to do everything to make this experience as least disruptive as possible for our current guests and, and, and future guests. And, and that's the intention for us as a company. And frankly, uh, it's the intention uh, mainly in the industry. And I know this is, you know, everybody's trying to preserve cash. The airlines are, the hotels are. I mean, you're, you know, your, your, uh, your friend, Mr. Arnie Sorensen has got the same problem at Marriott. Uh, Chris Nassetta has the same problem at Hilton. Hilton. Oscar yeah. Munoz has the same problem at United. United. Uh, yep. I mean, you know, United's bleeding like $60 million to $80 million a day in lost revenue. Yeah. Well, you know, for us, um, our burn rate, um, uh, which has been an offering memorandum we publish uh, currently is close to a billion dollars a month. Of course, we're going to manage that down. And that's a lot of, of um, 
of spend um, if you don't have revenues coming in. Now, we do have some people booking still for further out, um, but the reality is, obviously, in the current state, um, it's a reduce for the entire travel industry and cruises. It's no different. It's a reduced now, now, earlier this week, uh, the Saudi uh, Sovereign Wealth Fund took about an 8.2% stake in Carnival. That uh, couldn't have come at a better time. Well, you know, we had an offering out for equity and for uh, senior debt. We were very successful in the end with it. It was, um, uh, you know, quite a bit of interest in it and multiples of what was available. And so we were very successful. And, yes, the Sovereign Fund from Saudi Arabia was a participant in that. They had had a, a base before, and they added to their base. And uh, we're happy uh, to have investors and certainly happen to have them. And, of course, I'm, I'm perceiving new ports in Riyadh. No, but maybe Jeddah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what the future holds. But we're excited about cruise still. and We just have to get through this all together. In what way do you think this might, when we're ready to go back and travel, when we're ready to go back and cruise, you know, you were having one of your best seasons ever. I think the industry was. The airlines certainly were. People would argue that people don't just want to travel. They need to travel. It's part of our cultural DNA. But now that you're sitting in one place for a change, what kind of thought have you given to different itineraries, different protocols about how you're going to literally steer these ships out when you're given permission to do it? Well, you know, again, our ships, um, Peter, as you know, are in what we call warm layup. Uh, so they're operating fully operational. So um, when it's the right time to sail again, we'll be ready to sail. The itineraries are going to be driven by, you know, the protocols in place in, in the nations around the world. And I'm sure that'll be influenced, of course, by the degree of the persistence of community spread of the virus and so on. And so, um, you know, we'll, we'll just fit in with the world. You know, we're not trying to self-design ourselves anything because in the end, uh, it's where the world is accepting social gathering, that they're comfortable with it, that they feel is an okay thing to do. And that may not be even across the world um, from the very beginning. What we're waiting to see is what's available and what makes sense because we are always in compliance. Because as you know, Peter, our time priorities and our highest responsibilities are always compliance everywhere we go, environmental protection and the health, safety and well-being of our guests, of um, the places we touch, so the people in the places we touch, and of course our crew. And so, you know, that'll determine the itinerary where it's safe to go and, and, and healthy to go and, and um, of course where we are in full compliance, whatever the rules are. Um, sure. Whatever. You know, it's, I was looking at your, you know, your Holland America ships at one point, the Princess ships. Uh, you were having a tough go of it, you know, at the, at the height of this problem with ports and cities and communities and, and governments not even letting you come in. So well, you, how, do you you know, the turn, how do you turn that around? Yeah, but how do you turn that around? The, the situation evolved. Um, you know, as communities yeah. spread, you know, went from east to west, uh, you know, that, that uh, places began to, you know, realize they had a challenge or they saw a challenge coming from another place. And so it all evolved over a period of time. It, it was, as you mentioned at the beginning of this broadcast, it was uncharted waters. So, you know, I respect and understand that at different times people made determinations in the middle of a sailing. Uh, we, we'd have a, uh, approval to go into a port um, in the morning, and by the time the ship got there in the afternoon, the rules had changed. But I understand that. Everybody's learned a lot. That sh would not be the case 
in most cases coming out of this, but going into it, everyone was learning. Um, and so when you say at the peak of it, you know, the first incident we had with Diamond Princess was at the very beginning of it when people understood very little. And while the cruise itself uh, was a great cruise, the ship ended up becoming a quarantine ship for a, a number of weeks well beyond the cruise period. And, and that created its own set of things. But again, we did it in full compliance with um, the Japanese Ministry of Health. So we are in compliance. We always will be. We cooperate wherever we go. But in the end, people will be able to travel again, and um, they will get to enjoy the benefits of travel, which is discovering what they share in common with others around the world and learning new cultures, and then being able to celebrate uh, the differences. You know, I'm looking at the Alaska market and, and an act that you're familiar with called the Jones Act, uh, which was passed way back then in 1939 that said, or no uh, ship that's not registered in the U.S. could sail between two U.S. ports without stopping in a, in a foreign port first, which explains why so many years now, you know, your ships will start in, in Canada before going to Alaska. Canada now is not letting any cruise ships in. So what does this mean for your Alaska season? Are you going to have one? We'll have to see. I think um, over time, uh, we'll see. It, this is um, early April. Um, uh, the season um, normally would be kind of starting, you know, a little later than now, around now, a little bit later. And so we'll have to see what happens. And um, I, I think, again, these are all uncharted waters and everybody's trying to cooperate and help. Alaska is very dependent on tourism as well as on oil and as well as on fisheries. And, and all three of those have been severely negatively impacted. And so for the local people, People in Alaska, the um, folks that provide the little tours and the, the craft shops and so on and so forth that, you know, give um, the guides for the uh, various tours in Alaska. That's their livelihood. And similarly, around the world and elsewhere here in the U.S., the people that work in the ports, the Uber drivers, the taxi drivers, uh, the baggage handlers, you know, the restaurant uh, workers, all of those are people that are dependent on travel and tourism, as you know well. And yeah. so I think everyone will be looking at, you know, first, public health and safety first, and then after that, how do we, you know, manage it in a way where we can get these people back to work? Similar packages help. I applaud every government that's doing that, but they're not long-term sustainable. In the end, people, you know, have to be able to get back to work. Joining us now, someone knows a lot about it, at least in terms of the impact of the travel. He's not a doctor. He doesn't play one on TV, but he is the travel editor for The Wall Street Journal, Scott McCartney. How are you, sir? I'm good, Peter. Good to be with you. And you're now in Dallas, and you're you're you know sequestered there. I'm here in the bunker in New York, and I would I, I can say this to almost every one of my guests. It's probably the longest time you haven't been on a plane in a long time. Uh, that's that's absolutely true. I'm I'm having dreams about it. <laughs> it's really sad. <laughs> this this is sick. <laughs> yes, yes. But in all seriousness, one of the things that you've been working on as as a journalist, what I've been covering as well, I've been inundated with with complaining emails from our audience that, you know, they booked a flight, they booked a cruise, they booked a hotel, they booked a tour, they booked an Airbnb, whatever. They paid money. In many cases, they paid in full, usually with a credit card, sometimes with a check. And now they can't seem to get their money back. Uh, the airlines in particular uh, were basically steering them to a voucher. In some cases, 
a voucher they could use for two years. Uh, in some cases, they were even doing a premium on the voucher, saying they'd give you up to 25% more than what you paid for the original ticket as a dollar value of the voucher. But I don't know a lot of passengers or travelers who willingly accepted that. After all, we're not in the business of loaning money to the airlines. We're not banks. And uh, there's a there's a trust factor here about so many of, of, of our audience was worried about whether these, these entities would still be in business in two years. Uh, I'm sure you're getting similar complaints. Oh, absolutely. And and there's a lot of money at stake in this. Um, you know, some people have thousands of dollars, $50,000 in a cruise, um, school groups that have, you know, tens of thousands of dollars wrapped up in it and, and can't get their money back. And some of these kids are, are graduating and won't be around to book the trip with their high school group. It's a huge problem. It's illegal in, in a lot of instances. There are regulations in the United States for airlines flying in and out of the United States. Applies not just to U.S. carriers, but international carriers who do business here. Um, also, regulations in, in the European Union that say that if the airline cancels a flight, the airline has to refund, has to offer a refund. You can take a voucher if you want, but you have to make a refund available if, um, if the consumer wants it. And it's really simple. Uh, you know, if you order something at a retail store or, or anywhere else and the retailer can't deliver it, you get your money back. Uh, there's no, no reason why anybody should, you know, sell you something, not deliver and then get to keep the money. It's, um, it's really outrageous. Well, what's really ridiculous is that the airlines, first of all, they know the rules. It's a Department of Transportation rule. It's even in their own contract of carriage. If you look at the Delta Airlines contract of carriage, it says if Delta cancels a flight, and I want to be clear on this. I mentioned it earlier in the show, but I'll say it again. The airline has to cancel the flight, not you. But if the right. airline cancels the flight, then on the Delta language, it says the passenger at the passenger's request is entitled to a full refund, even on a non-refundable ticket. And time and time again, every airline that I can think of either didn't volunteer this information or refused to do it. Uh, now, last Friday, about a week ago, a little more than a week ago, uh, the U.S. Department of Transportation made an announcement reminding the airlines of the existing rule and threatened to take enforcement action if they didn't play fair. Uh, I have started to see, and maybe you have too, Scott, the airlines start to write those checks. Yeah, that's right. Um, so Lufthansa was, was one of the first that said for tickets sold in the U.S., they would now offer refunds. They hadn't been before. Um, and, and quite significantly, United uh, uh, reversed its proposal. Uh, United has been making up rules sort of left and right through, throughout this crisis. Uh, and they imposed a new rule um, uh, violating their own rules. Um, that said that on, on international tickets, if they canceled the flight, they'd give you a voucher for a year. And if you didn't use it in a year, then they would give you the refund. But essentially, they'd get to hang on to your money for a year. Um, and that was counter both to the DOT rules and United's own rules. And, and so they did reverse that, and they've gone back. It, it's, it's still a problem that a lot of international airlines are, are not doing. And it's worth noting that, that some airlines have done this right all along. Um, and it's very painful for airlines to give back cash. But uh, American has been doing it from the start. Delta has been doing it from the start. When, when the airline, as you said, when the airline cancels a flight, they have to refund. And they, they knew the rules, and, and a few of them said um, we will abide by the rules, and, and others said uh, forget it, we can't afford it, um, so we're not going to do it. Uh, it's not fair to the consumer who, you know, can't afford to loan airlines thousands of dollars at a time when 
they may be losing jobs. They, uh, businesses may be threatened. Uh, there are lots of reasons why people need their own cash that they're entitled to. Exactly. And by the way, this even applies to frequent flyer awards that people had cashed in to fly on flights. United at one point was charging people $75 penalty to redeposit their miles. Now United has relented and they've waived that fee, thankfully. But the bottom line is you do have rights. You can always write me to Peter at PeterGreenberg.com. Uh, you can go to the U.S. Department of Justice's, uh, Justice, yeah, that'll be the next stop, the U.S. Department of Transportation's website, and you'll find the rule right there. It's on their website, uh, something you can remind the airline of when they want to say no. Uh, and, in fact, they're basically flaunting the no to the Department of Transportation saying, go ahead, take enforcement action, fine us. We'll keep the fines held up for six months to a year. It's crazy. Well, it is. And, and I think that's a great point. Um, the Department of Transportation has not been aggressive about enforcing consumer rules. We were still continuing our conversation on one of our audience's favorite topics these days, the art of getting a refund when you've paid for a flight that the airline then cancels. And by the way, this also applies to cruise ships. It applies to hotels, Airbnbs, tour operators. Everybody is desperate to hold on to cash. The question is, how do you finesse a refund, especially when, guess what, you deserve it? Scott, you know, I've seen this happen with the cruise lines now. Their first response was a voucher. Uh, their second response was cancel any time up to 48 hours before the scheduled cruise leaves and we'll give you a voucher. Third one was give you, we'll give you 50% back. And now, slowly but surely, the cruise lines are now giving people if they want it, and believe it or not, they do want it, a 100% refund. Yeah, and, you know, I think one of the things that, that's imp for, important for people to remember is you've you got to be patient um, with them. And so the, the cruise lines have, um, like other businesses, ha have limited windows for the re refundability. Um, so, in, in fact, I one cruise line I was talking to, um, uh, anything out to May 11th or so, well, they would they would refund it. But May 11th, a, a cruise departing Italy, May you know May 12th, nobody wants to go on that. And so I think those kinds of restrictions will move out as we get closer to May sailings, You're right. June sailings. And so you know there may be wisdom in in waiting to rebook your trip or or get that refund. Uh, until the policy works in your favor. Um, and not that only with, that, uh, yeah. yeah. And, with, and not only that, Scott, you're right. I mean, it, there's no point in jumping the gun. This is a game of chicken in which you don't need to blink. Uh, yeah, that's right. Go ahead, Scott. I'm sorry. No, you may not get your money back right away, um, so you might as well wait. It's not. Uh, there's not a great rush. And if there's not a penalty for canceling uh, right at, at this time, um, wait until the policy works for you. The other thing is this. Don't depend on published schedules right now. An airline will tell you their flight in May is operating on time when, in fact, the reality of it is there's a, there's a high likelihood that none of their schedule is going to be operating uh, it realistically until June 15th. So wait, if, you have, if you're holding a ticket for May 25th, why would you cancel now? Wait until the like May 18th, and by that time, I guarantee you the airline will have canceled it. Or if not, as Scott suggests, their policy may have changed to be more and more beneficial to you. Same thing with cruises. I mean, a lot of cruises are saying they're leaving in May, June, and July for the Alaska cruise 
season, not so fast. Uh, right now, Canada is banning all cruise ships. And for those people who understand the Jones Act, which goes back to 1939 for those historians listening in, uh, it was designed to protect the American Merchant Marine by requiring uh, any ship not registered in the U.S. to stop at a, at a foreign port while sailing between two U.S. ports. It was allowed to you know, let people unload the ship and make more money on the docks. Well, guess what? With very few exceptions, I think, a couple of Mississippi River boats and one cruise ship in Hawaii, there are no ships in the United States sailing from the United States registered in the United States. So if Canada is banning cruise ships, how are you getting to Alaska without stopping in a Canadian port first? And right now, the entire Alaska cruise season is hanging in the balance. Yeah, and the cruise lines, as you well know, are, are really in a precarious position. Um, they were, because uh, none of them are registered in the U.S., they were exempted from the U.S. bailout legislation. So th- there's no bailout money for cruise ships. Uh, there is for airlines and, and for others. And uh, Carnival in particular has been um, working to um, raise money as as best they can. Uh, Airbnb, interestingly, is doing the same thing. We reported the other day that they, they actually uh, borrowed some money at, at more than 10 percent interest, um, very high interest rates for a big company uh so they're you know they they are in the fight of their lives for uh survival well isn't it interesting that a company like airbnb that was so highly valued by the market i mean outrageously highly valued by the market has to go out and quickly borrow money at a high interest rate which gives you an idea of whether or not airbnb was ever making any money in the first place yeah absolutely right absolutely right (laughs) it's really tricky airbnb has to its credit been more generous with refunds uh, than some others. Um, I've heard a lot of complaints about VRBO. Um, VRBO uh, basically left it up to their owners. And guess what? They're not being very generous. Um, at, at best, the company asks owners to refund 50% and, and give 50% of, of the purchase of the rental as a voucher. Um, well, that's, you know, that's thousands of dollars for a lot of people. And uh, they're not going to go. They want their money back. The voucher's You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes podcast. Hard-hitting investigative reports, news and culture maker interviews and in-depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sant from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. 
Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings early and ad-free on Wondery Plus.